welcome back to Fish's Call Sheet. On this episode, have you ever wondered how the projects, the shows, the films, the movies that you watch are shaped iconically by those images that you see first and the environments in which all of the performance happens? It's all about location, whether it be the perfect house for a family, the villain's lair, the place where a car chase happens. Everything is about location, and that is shaped by a location scout and then managed by a location manager. And today we have Leanne Emmert on to share what goes into being a location scout and manager. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have so many questions when it comes to locations. Uh, you know, I primarily have worked on, people know me from working on a multi-cam. We don't do a lot of locations. But from a directing producing side, I've been on a lot of single cams and then I, I've shadowed on a lot of movies and been on movie sets. And I used to work crew on a lot of movies. I, I, I dragged a lot of cable, as I like to say, up, up hills from one location to the other. So yeah. I can't wait to hear from your perspective what goes into the planning of it. So I'll just start with the most basic question, Leanne, is what do people think you do when you say you're a location scout? Well, a lot of times, and a lot of us refer to ourselves as location managers. Um, and, and a lot of people, the, me, the first question is, you know, what is that? So I will sometimes say I'm a location scout because I think people have a little bit more of an idea of what that would be. But um, we're usually the first people who are brought on to a film, um, along with the production designer and the director. We, we're usually in the very, very early hiring of a movie. And we'll sit down with the producer and the director and sometimes the studio. So a script, whether it's set in a jungle or a city, it could be, you know, an Asian city. It could be, you know, a small town in Texas. The script is where you start. So that informs where you're going to start looking. The second thing that informs where you're going to start looking is tax incentives. You know, there's a lot of places out there, a lot of um, states and countries that offer, you know, lucrative tax incentives. And what that does is more of the money goes back to the screen. So you can afford a little bit more if you're getting, let's say, a tax credit on, you know, the people that you hire and the money that you spend in a certain state or country. You know, there's a lot of other films that you know, the location is just absolutely the most important thing and we're not chasing tax incentives. So that's really kind of the first place that you start is where are you going? And, and sometimes they don't necessarily know, like they will turn to me and just say, okay, you know, where's the best jungle next to like tall skyscrapers? And you, know, you immediately think, well, there's obviously Hong Kong or certain cities where you would want to start to explore and how safe are they and what's going on politically. So those are the kinds of factors that you, you look into and accessibility, and especially if, if you're bringing, bringing a big old crew. So once you, you discuss the where of it all, usually someone like myself or I hire a scout, you know, will go and hit the road. And we do lots of, you know, research beforehand. We talk to locals, you, you scan the internet for images for something that you, you know, is sexy and exciting and, and cinematic. And we get out there, we're photographers. So I go out with my camera and try to shoot. Once I find a location, I try to shoot it in the, the best way, oops, the best way possible just to make it, you know, I try to imagine is if I'm the cinematographer and how would you best capture this location? So, you know, a good photograph will, will sell it. 
then I come back and, and show the director sort of all the selections. Or sometimes let's say I'm in Hong Kong, I'll set up a website, send them images from that city. And then they'll go through and pick, ooh, we love this, that seems great. So then the next step is once, you know, they've picked a bunch of locations that they want to see in person, sort of let's say, let's say there's 20, let's say there's 20 houses, you know, and they think, oh, let's look at these top three. So we'll have a scout and it's usually with the director and the production designer. And sometimes a, a, a director of photography, or I mean, yeah, the DP will come, sometimes a visual effects supervisor will come if let's say it's a very visual effects heavy movie. And we will have a scout and then we'll walk through it and then the director has makes their selects. And then the next phase of a location manager's job is, you know, first there's the finding it and then there's the showing it. And then the next thing is, is really jumping into the making it happen. This job is, is very much a right brain and a left brain kind of job. So the creative and then the logistics and the people skills and the planning and all of that stuff. So, you know, you got to make sure you can deliver. Like if you say, look at this incredible, like this cool overpass, we're going to like launch a car off of that. Like, okay, how do you do that? You know, you have to get engineers, you have to get the city on board, you have to get the police on board. Um, and so we deal with all the permits and street closures and for instance like you know a movie like transformers 3 where they had guys jumping out of helicopters and off uh willis tower or old sears tower and off trump tower you know like with wingman suits i mean that took like six months of planning for the team to get that to happen 75 police on the street you know holding traffic because those guys when they came down they're almost like rockets so the planning portion of and and the logistics and where are all the trailers going to be? Where do people get changed? Where do people eat? Where do people go to the bathroom? So it's like planning, you know, finding the location for the circus, and then you got to pave the way because the circus is coming to town and it's big and it can be messy and it can be, it can disrupt businesses. It can, you know, you can have explosions at night in a residential area. So we have to deal with making sure that it's all smoothed out and we have all the permissions we need. And in the end, you get your scene, director's happy, the circus moves on to the next location. You know, people are happy about it and say, that was really cool. Like we're excited that we are a part of this. So one of the most important aspects of our job is to make sure that you don't burn locations because especially in a town like Los Angeles or places where there are tax incentives and they get more filming, you know, if you come into a, a neighborhood and, and you keep people up all night and you don't address it and you don't talk to them about it and they're angry about it, the next person that comes into town knocks on the door and says, hey, you want to shoot a movie here? They're going to be pissed. So, you know, it's about being good neighbors and respectful. And that really kind of starts with us paving that way and, and letting everybody know, hey, there's a neighbor down the street who has... PTSD. And so this gunfire, like, let's put him up in a hotel kind of a way if we're going to have gunfire. Or everybody who's working on the film is, they're being paid by the film to be on that film to do their job. And whether it's bringing equipment or operating the cameras or serving craft service, whatever it may be, they're all a part of a team that they're being paid by that film. But we deal with, you know, the crew. And then we also deal with the public who aren't being paid by the film and who have nothing to do with it and could, you know, sometimes could care less or even actually sometimes maybe have a negative feeling about it. So 
it's a very fine line we walk of, you know, kind of being the ambassador of the film. City's happy, the police are happy, you know, the neighbors are happy, and the director is happy. And the producer is happy because it didn't cost too much. So a complicated and busy job. And, you know, I know a lot of people, when they see us on set and see us dealing with, like, the constant problem solving, they'll say, oh, I could never do that job. It's just, it can be a hard job. But, you know, there's plenty of times, like, I, I could say when I was just working on my last feature and I was in, or one of my last features, and I was in Greenland hanging out of a helicopter taking photographs over icebergs. It's like, man, I love my job. Like, someone is paying me to do this. Like, I would freaking do this for free. So don't tell the producers that. But, you know, there's many times that I feel pretty excited about waking up and going to work. You almost initiate a world that becomes the dream world of production. And then you have to find a way to manage the real world and bring them into the production. It can be so simple as, you know, where base camp is at a location. If we're going to be there for a day, it's not as big a deal. But if you're going to be there for an extended period of time, how many things are in between? How long is that walk? How far do you have to go? How much gear has to move? Is that the best location? Is it the best you can do given the circumstances? And every one of these things plays into not just the success of a project, but the expense and then the overall feeling, like you said, about not burning a location or burning an experience because you want to be able to go back if it's a great location. When we're scouting, when I'm scouting, I will certainly keep in mind, you know, accessibility. And when I was working on Kong Skull Island and I was in Vietnam and the director had already seen an area that was quite far away really far away in the middle of freaking nowhere. And I went back and had to start to manage that. The location, this river location where we had a helicopter like crash set inside of a, a, a river. I mean, that was about an hour and a half away from a tiny town. And we, when we would go there to, to, to see it, when we were going there on like our director scout, we would ride on the back, like these guys would ride us on these little scooters down this dirt road and it's all pocked by like water buffalo making these holes in the road. It's really a rough ride. So that's how we'd get there. It's like, all right, we're not gonna be able to bring the whole, cause you can't bring a car in there. It's just the road was just a muddy, sloppy mess. And it was really more of like a footpath. And so we ended up making a 2.6 kilometer road from the nearest kind of like parking areas, just like a field. And, uh, and we had to go through a few different individual farms because all the farms are these little thin strips. And the lady came out to meet me. She had like wore her fur. She was like, there's someone from Hollywood's here. So she had her fur coat on and her heels and she like rolls out the plan. And I see how many farms. I was like, wow, it was, you know, 120 some farms that we had to go through to build this this road one by one wait they had you know all the farmers come and meet our guys at a table and you know do a deal for this little strip of land you know this 15 foot wide road that we put in there 2.6 kilometers so and it costs one million dong vietnamese dong which was like fifty thousand dollars but it sounded great to say it's like this is a million dollar road but a million dong road the, the farmers, it was a win-win because they had a big flood after we finished filming. And so all the farmers we paid got money for, you know, their fields and the other people who, who weren't lucky enough to have a section bought out by us, um, they lost everything in this flood. So, you know, it was, it was just a wonderful experience. But 
you know, it's one of those things like just uh, we deal with constant unknown sort of like problem solving uh, or issues. You just have to be like, okay, let's figure out how do we, how do we solve this? But normally it's kind of nice if you find a location that's sort of near a parking lot, but I never start with a parking lot. I'm like, oh, is there anything good around here? It's just like find the location that's cinematic and that fits the character. And, you know, I know when I found it because I feel excited to photograph it. When I feel excited to photograph it, it's like, yeah, this is, I, I think this will be the pick. Like my gut is when I find something that's really cool, I'm, I'm excited to show the director because I feel like, you know, this is, they're going to love it. And it's just my stamp on the film. I can look back at the movies I've done and like, I remember the day I found that, or, you know, it's like, I feel very proud of, you know, how location, managers and scouts contribute to the look of a film and um and i don't think enough people realize it yeah i want i want to shine the light on our on our craft we need academy awards for best locations you know truly i, I, I agree they shape everything you know I, I was having this conversation too with stuntmen because i feel like there's so many of these areas that really shape production and are dramatic impacts on the overall outcome of a production and there really aren't categories for everything, but part of it is because there's not enough awareness, I think. Yeah. I mean, you've worked on Transformers and you mentioned Kong Skull Island, uh, uh, Django Unchained, Lincoln, Dark Knight Rises, uh, Ray Donovan on television. You've shaped iconic imagery in production, not only facilitating locations, but making locations grander or specific to the production if people don't think that there's an art and a talent and a skill there that comes across in the magistry of what we produce then they're just really not paying attention people see the finished the final product and it's all very sexy and exciting and and you know i think you could watch something like the crown and say how are they shooting this you know inside of the the you know buckingham palace or whatever it may be you know you just I, I even do that. I mean, I do that sometimes. I'll, many times I'll be watching something and know exactly where it's all shot, but there's plenty of times where I'm sort of like, ooh, great job. Like when I saw the last Mission Impossible and the work they, the motorcycle work they did through Paris. Like I'm not the little art house film person. I'm more of like the big, you know, Transformers franchise kinds of movies, you know, where lots of, you know, big monster movies. Like I, I do more of those. I've just kind of been in, in, that cycle of films. I can't watch a movie and not be thinking, you know, ooh, great job in, in Atlanta. Like I wouldn't have known those, you know, some of those scenes were in Atlanta, like Baby Driver. Or, you know, I think that it, it will stand out to me a lot of times when I see something, you know, I'll be like applauding the location team for the work they did. Because I know how much work it is. You know, especially if we're in different countries or different cities, you know, have teams set up in different places. You could have a, a small little film where you're not doing much and maybe you just have, you know, a small staff of like four to, you know, 40, you know, to 80. You know, those Transformers movies, our crew photo in Chicago alone look like a crew photo. It truly, those movies are, are so hard to do and every day feels like you're in battle and changes happen all the time. And so if there's a change, it's like a domino effect. It's like, cancel the base camp, set up the other base camp, get the crew parking, get the, the get the tables delivered, you know, it's, Heaters, catering spaces, bathrooms. Get, get the approval, get everybody to sign off, get local oh, approval, get law enforcement. Yeah. 
block traffic. Like yeah. it's changing yeah. a whole world. Controlling street lights, controlling, you know, traffic lights, making them turn red or yellow when you want them to. Let's say you're filming on a street at night. You'll show up on a tech scout, and tech scout being all the department heads showing up for those who don't know. And you stand there on the street, usually with a director, unless certain directors don't go on tech scouts anymore. You'd be standing out there and say, okay, well, let's, um, we're going to be looking in this direction. You know, cars are going to go screaming by in this direction or maybe go flipping or there's an explosion and it's like okay we want lights on in those windows we want to have some lights on those rooftops and sometimes you know we want a camera position on that rooftop so or we want to fly drones down so we need to like control the street or helicopters low-level helicopter work so you know you get into the safety of that for the public and controlling the public and communicating with everybody and getting inside people's apartments to change their curtains and lights inside. And I, I mention all of these things because every single location has a, a, lo a massive laundry list of needs that every department, you know, it's like the sound people, oh, there's a weed whacker. We need this, the weed, all the lawn, you know, the lawn mowing to stop in a neighborhood for a day or knowing when the trash is going to be delivered because those are noisy. We, we deal really with every single department as well. So as, as I'm saying, it's like, sound needs us for sound control and lighting and, and you know, grip and electric because they're often putting lights and running cable through people's properties, obviously, and they work under cameras. So whatever the camera sees, we control. So especially like if you're doing a period film, you can't have a Honda driving by, you know, you can't have somebody's car in their driveway down the street or even like a movie like Lincoln. When you're in a cinema and there's a, a you know, on the big screen and you've got, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis there as the president, you know, standing in the doorway. You can't have a Phillips screw in a door hinge, in a door frame, like down to those, those minute details. The hardware has to be taken out and then hardware put in. And you can't have a modern door handle down across the street on, or anything modern. So people have no idea how much thought goes into every frame. Even in the fact of like, you know, extras walking by, it just seems like people are on a busy street and it's like every single one of those people is paid. And sometimes they walk by and they turn around and walk by and they turn around and walk by, you know, and the, yep. just the audience doesn't realize it's the same extras just walking by over and over again. Because if you don't have a lot of money, it's like, take off your jacket, walk by again. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. Yeah. yeah grab a purse, quick, quick jacket change. If, you, if yeah. anybody can see just off screen, and watch all of the like background people switch out jackets, put on hats, put on shirts, a scarf or whatever, like, so they can go back and forth. Because sometimes if you look really closely, it's the same five people. Yeah, and the ADs or PAs are just sitting there like, okay, you go. Yeah. Come, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. No. Slow down, so you know, like. Walk yeah. normal, hurry up, walk normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I don't even, even when I'm watching, the background just become background. So I'm like focusing on the, the you know, the main characters, but it, it always kind of makes me giggle. Like when I'm standing just off camera watching a scene and watching the chaos just out of frame of like trying to get the background to do what they want. What are some of the locations that you used in a project that you just are in love with? I talk about this a lot to people and because it just was the most magical film experience I've ever had was was Kong Skull Island. We filmed in Vietnam. Now we filmed a lot of the movie in Hawaii and a little bit of the movie in Australia. 
for tax incentive purposes. Then we did 17 days of that film in Vietnam, and we were the first U.S. feature to film in Vietnam, and the first big film, you know, any kind of a, a larger size movie to film there. And the director really pushed for it in the studio, you know, the producer, Erica Cloud, he, you know, the, the studio had cold feet about it because other people had tried to film there. Um, it's, and it's just, it's tricky with um, getting the permissions and knowing that you're going to be able to ship your stuff there and get it into the country through customs and get your people there and get all the permissions. And it's not as straightforward as just, let's say, the United States. Jordan had put his foot down, the director, it's where he wanted to film, and Eric supported it, and then the studio backed it up. Such magical experience, and the landscape there is just stunning. The people are amazing, and it's by far my favorite film experience. And I was a little nervous about how I'd be received there, because, you know, as an American, and, you know, because of the Vietnam War, I thought, you know, will there be animosity towards Americans? I quickly realized how warm the people are. And, you know, the U.S. ambassador uh, to Vietnam had told me that 90% of the Vietnamese consider the United States as their number one ally. You know, really, the Vietnamese people are so warm and so lovely. And it was just a magical experience for me. Like I filmed at NASA on um, Transformers 3 at Kennedy Space Center and it was right before they shut down. They were in their big layoff. It was the last shuttle was on the you know the platform out there so I got to see the very last shuttle go on the crawler out there and we were filming around that before it took off so that was a that was a pretty special thing to sort of be at the kind of an end of an era, you know, at the end of NASA per se. Probably I'd also say one of the hardest locations I've ever filmed at because, you know, there's a lot of roles there. Where This is a Michael Bay movie. It's like he wants to come in there, blast in there with his cars and his toys and just, you know, have free reign. And those two worlds kind of were difficult to, to manage. I would say Jackson, Wyoming is one of my favorite places. That's a, we, we shot Django Unchained there. Those are the winter scenes. They'd set up a cabin in, in Mammoth, but the cabin, it was like one of those winters where we just didn't have a lot of snow. Right before Christmas, they're just like, you know, shit, man, we better find something. We got to find another spot. Where is there the most snow? And so it, Mandy Dillon was actually the location manager on that. They determined that Jackson, Wyoming, and that right by the Tetons, took the cabin apart, chucked it up to, up to Wyoming, and, and put it together there, so... You know, I'd say Iceland is a pretty magical place. Like I've been there, been there on a couple shows. Talk about a unique landscape. I mean, there's just nothing like it anywhere else in the world. And, uh, and they're very film friendly. It's a pricey location, you know, but it's really, it's, it's super unique. And that's why, you, you know, it's in everything from things like Game of Thrones. It's one of those otherworldly kind of locations. So it's not every day you see just like a giant black sand beach with just like crazy rocks or like beaches with these crystals, like ice crystals on them. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a stunning location. All right, now what's a location, Leanne, that you've seen in something that you didn't work on where you're like, I wish I had found that or where is that place? You know, I would say pretty much every Bond movie. Okay. I wish I had worked on that film. I wish, because the, the locations on in the Bond movies forever have been a part of the fabric of the storytelling. And, you know, there are always these, like, 
wow locations. And so that's, that's for sure a bucket list kind of thing that I wish I had worked on those movies. And even like, I think in the last one, it wasn't my favorite Bond film, but like the opening scene in, in, in the last film where they're in Mexico City and running on those rooftops while they're the, you know, Dia de los Muertos is happening down below. Yes. Like, God, that was a stunning sequence. And I, I, in that moment thought, I wish I had worked on this. I wish I had been up on all those rooftops, like figuring that out. And I think too, you know, you know, when you have these crazy chase sequence, like, um, you know, like Ilt Jones, who's the location manager from Transformers, he found this great apartment complex um, and it's photographed a lot. It's in Hong Kong and it's one of those just your mind, your eyes can barely like take it all in. These just these apartment blocks that are crazy and colorful. And, and he came up with the idea of what if the chase happens in here and they're parkouring off, you know, these different apartments and air conditioning units. And, uh, and so they ended up doing that. They shot that there and, you know, built cranes out over where guys and, you know, guys are on sort of little stunt cranes and actually really parkouring on these uh, air, con air conditioning units and balconies. So I probably tend to think that when I'm watching movies like the Mission Impossible movies and the James Bond movies, because they are so, um, you know, they go to big, exciting places. Every movie needs a location. So, you know, how do you, how do you find some great little like town in a tax incentive area? And that, that's all, an equally exciting challenge. You know, maybe not as exciting as like going rooftop scouting in Hong Kong for Godzilla versus Kong, but you know, it's, it's all exciting. It's all exciting to be a part of the creative. All right, what was the moment you knew you wanted to be in this industry? I've always loved movies. I've always loved, I would obsessively watch movies over and over and over and over again. And I had a little TV in my room with the little VCR and I would just play and things like, whether it was like the 16, like the John Hughes movies, the 16 Candles kind of films to like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and, um, but also things like Out of Africa, like I would put Out of Africa in and just watch it obsessively over and over again, or like Lawrence of Arabia, like those kinds of movies with those like, you know, sweeping landscapes, those are ep epic films and um, Ben-Hur or whatever. I, I was always really fascinated by that and by seeing those places because I'd see them on film. But I just, I grew up in Colorado, so it just didn't seem like something, you know, it just didn't seem accessible, you know, when you don't live in a, in a, in Hollywood, it's like, that just doesn't, you don't realize, you, it, you don't register as a kid that that's actually a job that someone does. I, we also, I was really into National Geographic magazines and my aunt said, you know, you can do anything you want. If you could do anything, what would it be? And I was like, I want to be a like a professional photographer and traveling photographer working for National Geographic. So we wrote him a letter and it was like, you know, that, and I, my love for photography, like I was a photography editor in high school. And so I was always very into photography based on sort of what I was good at in school, like geography and language and stuff. Um, I decided, oh, maybe I'll be an ambassador. That's what I'm, I studied international affairs. And that's what I graduated uh, from CU Boulder with. And so at the very end of college, it's like, that's that moment when it's like, okay, here, here I am world. What am I going to do? And I thought, I don't know that I want to go and work for the government. You know, here I just got this, this degree. I could go on to graduate school or, you know, maybe start to try to get little government jobs. And I thought, you know what? I want to try to work in the film industry. And I had a friend who went to NYU. So I saw him 
doing that, you know, I, and I, so I realized it actually is, you know, there are jobs out there where the people get doing that a career, you know, I could maybe make a career out of it. So I tried doing a few things in Denver and finally, you know, made the move to California and got going in it. Um, you know, it was like a driver on the parent trap was my very first movie. And I was a driver on, uh, on town and country and became a director's assistant. So I did a couple jobs and then a friend said, you know, Hey, she's actually still like one of my best friends. She's like, you know, you want to come help me out in locations. So I was just like a help, like an assistant on in a location department. And for years I was like, okay, this is good, but I, I really want to produce. I want to do all these other things. And it, at one point it dawned on me, you know, like I stopped the chase of like, Oh, I want to be a producer. And I realized, wow, I have landed in this career that I had manifested for my, a lot of my life, which is working in movies, being a traveling photographer, being the ambassador of a film set. And, you know, and once I sort of like it dawned on me, I was like, wow, the, the power of, of that was, was quite striking. And, and once I started doing that, it's just like the doors just opened up even more for me. And that's when I started doing a lot more international work. Like I worked in Korea and Japan and Greenland and Iceland and Vietnam and Hong Kong and Australia a couple times and Hawaii and all over the United States. And I'm very blessed. I feel super grateful and lucky that it, just has flowed for me in that way. So it keeps it fresh for me too. It keeps, I just have to always come back to that because there are days where it is hard and frustrating and scary. We have so much pressure on us. The circus is coming to town and the location the day before is saying, oh, we've changed our mind. We don't want filming. And I'll talk about the heart attack that you get when half a million dollars is riding on that coming into town the next day, you know, to that location. Sometimes literally even like Kennedy Space Center was like, right before the crew was traveling. I mean, I had a full panic attack because NASA was sort of like, yeah, this isn't gonna, you know, it was sort of like putting the brakes on it. And so there's a tremendous amount of pressure and stress that comes with it. I do a lot of, like breathing exercises and listen to meditation like music sometimes in between during those stress stressful times and just, okay, back up. How do we solve this? Step-by-step step solving it and trying to get a no back around to a yes. I don't think anyone outside of our business really understands how precarious some of these productions are from day to day. And it's not that you didn't plan it. It's not that you didn't have agreements. It's not that everything wasn't lined up ahead of time. Suddenly something happens near the location and they say, well, the location isn't as available or weather comes in or a government agency suddenly decides that area is too sensitive. Overnight, all of a sudden, like you said, half a million to a million dollars is showing up here tomorrow and hundreds of people are coming and we don't have extra days to reorganize this and we don't have extra days to add to the shoot of a movie or a production and all of that comes back to you because you you laid the framework of this location in place established this plan and then all of a sudden someone else comes to you and says well the plan's not going to work or you know, I've really thought about the location. I just like to move everything like just a little bit. And you're like, the camera's going to go this way. We planned it for three yeah. months. Yes. And, you know, I changed my mind. I really want to shoot this way. <laughs> and like yeah. everything we rebuilt and reorganized over here, we changed the whole world here to be yeah. time period or aesthetically fitting this movie and the characters and everything. 
and to be its own character largely. Well, and so we learn, like for instance, um, Mr. Spielberg does not go on tech scouts so much. He's a busy guy. His DP doesn't either. So that's a tricky thing. You show up with the crew and you get to the location and you're sort of like, okay, well, we might look this way. We might look that way. You have to prepare for 360 and create like a playground. Same with Michael Bay. Scout stuff, but you know, on the day he feels inspired like, oh, I want a camera in that lobby. Well, let's go around the corner and do this. Like, you just basically have to know everybody everywhere. It's just all about being prepared for the curveballs because when all of a sudden he calls and says, hey, can I put a camera in that lobby and, you know, or let's shoot around the corner and we planned for this way, but we're going to now shoot that way, then I can just like on speed dial go, yeah, Jim, the manager of this office tower. Yep, it's happening. And just like I told you, we might need to, we're going to be in there. Like, can we go up on your rooftop or whatever it may be if you prepare and you like get people prepared for the possibility of it, then, you know, it's just a phone call that morning or whatever it is. But, but then, you know, if it's weather issues or sometimes it's just something really unforeseen happens. And that's when uh, it's very important for me to work with a producer who is supportive and hopefully a director who's understanding because if you change things like last minute, I mean, sometimes it's just only so much I can do. So it's like you have to come up with a solution as a team. There are sometimes there are people who just are screamers and just make it happen kind of people. I've been doing this long enough now that I, I really try to not work in those situations anymore. It's not conducive. It's supposed to be a collaborative process. And, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll say it from my end is having been an actor, you're one of the last people to show up and the first people to go home, but you are a face, right? So right. you're afforded certain um, free reign sometimes, and a lot of people use it or abuse it. And I've seen actors go, no, no, I want to shoot over there. Or I think that would look better behind me. And you're like, and directors say, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And then it all kind of starts to roll downhill. Yeah. Is, first, there is no real downhill because we all work collaboratively together. But secondly, especially in foreign countries or locations that are sensitive, you're talking about government approval you're talking about restrictions on location whether it be from environmental impact or you know police uh local government and in certain countries there are times where you pay for each section you plan on using because that's kind of the game in some places so yeah. you want to change your mind almost anything can really be done if you have enough time energy and money right but we never have enough time and we never have enough money so yeah you have to be realistic and then you also have to be kind about how you go about it. I think that's the important part for me is from a producing directing standpoint is if you think you might shoot that direction, then that should be one of the things that's on the conversation. You know, I've worked with Spielberg and, and I know his time is so valuable because he's being pulled in a million different directions, but at the same time, somebody has to go and have a concept of what the vision is. Yep. And I love high-end powerful directors are so used to being able to do almost anything within the framework of their art but you know you show up and you say i want a camera in that third story and i want to a really cool shot would be if i shot out of that lobby and another really neat shot would be if i'm on that building well those are all different people and those are all sometimes different departments or cities and, and approval or you want to hang a camera off the side of a building 
that doesn't sound like a big deal from the outside, but you need safety, you need approval. It's got to be you insurance, have insurance. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, contracts. Yeah. Somebody has right. to sign a contract, and if it's a big building, their attorneys sometimes aren't easy to reach. Like it's, uh, you're right. It's like people. It's so easy for somebody to just walk up and yeah, let's have some lights in that. You know, and that's the thing. Like on a tech scout, guys are just like oh, and I say guys because not very often there's a female, you know, gaffer or key grip, but so, you know, they walk up and like, you know, we want to be up on that building. We want to do this. We want to do that. One of the stunt guys or yeah, like we want to ratchet to that building and do this and the effects guy. And blow up everything. Yeah, guys are going to like, we're going to, I'm going to have a giant crane here and rain everywhere and I'm going to need to like tap into the fire hydrant and this and that. So everybody just gets there and points and tells what they want. And so we're writing down the list and then we have to begin the process of making all of that happen. So it's, you know, I wish that if a stunt, if like, let's say special effects, like, yeah, we want to blow this up. We want to do that. Like, yeah, okay, go do it. Go get the permissions. Like, you know, if everybody had to do that work themselves, I think they would value the, time and effort a bit more. But, you know, I mean, for the most part, I've been lucky enough to work with some, mostly with people who have been, you know, good and appreciative. And, and you know, sometimes if you send me something last minute, I can't make it happen. But my goal is always to be a yes person. My goal is let me see. I'm not just like an automatic, nope, can't do that. Like, right. let me see, let me do my best to like, you know, make your vision come to the screen. So, cause that's, that's my job, you know, but for people to understand, it's like, you know, it, you know, it's not like putting a camera on the side of a building is, is, is a, can be a big ask at last minute. So, and the other thing too, that always makes me laugh is when you get a script, you know, or there's a rewrite or new pages come out and like some writers sitting in a room, just like la 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 at a cafe, like just writing things. And it could be one line that just makes your life hell because it's sort of like, you know, what is this located? What is something just came up in someone's mind that now you're trying to find that's just impossible to find or, you know, and it's like, can't they just, can't we rewrite this? So, you know, I mean, there's times I've like had a really hard time trying to find a location and, and then I'll say, what if, like, how about this location? What if the character comes from here? You know, it's like, I try to come up with solutions if I can't find it, but I'll never say, this is another thing I've learned in all these years. I'll never say it doesn't exist because <laughs> I guarantee if I say it doesn't exist, like the next movie on on, I'm like, there's a goddamn spiral staircase with the thing and the, the yeah. you know, whatever it was I was trying to find, I, it's out there. It's just what? time. Do you right. have time to find it? And TV shows work in this very fast, you know, like, you know, alternates every seven days, you know, or whatever it is, like every 15 days, it'll be a new episode and you have that 15 days to like find everything, prep everything, be ready to shoot it. And so for us, like, I don't do a lot of TV, I mostly do features. And so sometimes I have, you know, like on Godzilla versus Kong, I mean, I was on that movie for 16 months and, you know, I think I was on it for close to, not quite a year, but close to a year before we started filming. So sometimes it'll just be me. Sometimes it's a whole team of people. It just depends on how much time um, we have. Because I, I like to be the one, I love the scouting part. It's my favorite part. So, you know, I love getting out in the world and going to find it, you know, getting on a plane, landing in another country and, you know, trying to figure it out. Like, 
where is this? What is this? What's this city like in Korea? Like what, you know, where can we do great drone, like drone work and control the streets? That's by the way, for you, if you're ever looking for a, a, a city that's got a cool modern look that, you know, drone work is fairly easy. Look at Seoul and Busan. They're very film friendly, great tax incentives. So Korea is a great place to shoot. I kind of always start with the script. And if it's something, you know, like, let's say it's like, like on Dark Knight Rises or you're doing some film where there's, you know, otherworldly kind of locations like, a, you know, Skull Island where it's, you know, that's jungle and he, the director really wanted to be like end of Vietnam War era. You know, that was the setting, the time period. Vietnam really lent its end and Hawaii. So we did a mix of Hawaii, Australia and Vietnam. So you know, Hollywood is finding a way because the world is consuming more than they ever did probably watching stuff. And, you know, there's a real need and a hunger for content. And I'm, I'm happy that we're back to work because I enjoyed doing it. Like I enjoyed having time off, but I'm happy. I'm happy that we're finding a way with masks and PPE and, and testing and wiping and, you know, all our zone, our new zone stuff. So it's, um, even though it's kind of a pain. I agree. It's different being on set this way. Sitting and, on my mat. I've got like a stack of masks and face shields. Yeah. I've got my safety glasses and my, my safety goggles and I got my face shields. Yeah. When I direct, I have to wear a full on face shield, right? I just finished a, a reshoot for Zack Snyder and, um, and I'm, st I'm starting that's these phone calls I'm getting. I'm on uh, one for James Wan and I'm choosing to be here, and if this is the safe way forward, this is what we're doing. And, you know, so you wear a mask all day. All right. What is the first thing you look for on a call sheet? Probably early in, first in, because we open the doors. You know, yeah. we're the first ones there. And so um, I need to know, like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll look at the call time is, but I immediately turn it around to see, like, what time is hair and makeup and the first ADs getting there. All right, now, what is the last thing, Leanne, that you want to see on a call sheet? That tomorrow's location is changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your nightmare just came true, right? Yeah, it, yeah, that's change. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or midday when they turn to you and say, we're thinking about switching the days. Yeah. They're like, no, why, you know? Yeah, or let's say you have two locations tomorrow. Like one is at a house and one is at something else. And you've made plans that this is just the first part of the morning and then we're going to move to this other location and that's where we'll have lunch. And then, you know, you look on the call sheet and it's switched or you look on the call sheet and it's like lunch is going to be at the first location and but the tent and the catering area is set up at the, at the next location. So it's like... <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. And transpo, how do I get people from one to the other when this is what we planned, right? Like what yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. What is your favorite thing to see at craft services? Healthy food. I kind of love when I, I mean, not just like carrots and celery sticks, but it's kind of nice when there's like a, when there's healthy options there, they feed us a lot, which is, you know, a well-fed cruise, a happy cruise, what they say. But, um, you know, I like when there's sort of like some creative, healthy options and like, like soup, I kind of like, you know, if it's a cold, if it's a cold night, let's say you're working nights when they pull out like the soup, I'm just like, yes. All right. Now, what do you hate to see at craft services? Pre PC, pre COVID. I, BC, be, before COVID, I really hated when there'd be like, like bulk 
bulk food, bulk chips, bulk nuts. Yeah. Like, I don't want to reach in there when every, I, you know, that, I hate that. Or just like, you know, the donut, the donut, you know, plastic. Uh, like, container thing where it's just like reach yeah. in, take out whatever you like. Donuts has just been sitting outside kind of in the sun all day. Like, ew. Yeah. And then you eat those and it just like sticks to the roof of your mouth. How do you define success? Happiness. When I feel good about a project that I'm on and, and I'm able to deliver, you know, like when I, when I feel a part of the team, maybe that's, and when I say the team, I'm talking top down, you know, like the director and the producer, like that feels, you know, or I guess, or actually, I mean, success with this job. I mean, I would say that every day they can show up and, and I deliver, I deliver the locations from concept to, you know, shaking the hand of the people as we walk out the door. All right. And how are you doing uh, based on your definition of success? I think that I do pretty well. I, I haven't knocking wood right now. Um, really been very, very few times in my whole career where I've like lost a location um, and, or haven't found it or, you know, so, you know, I, I come with a positivity and, and cause I feel happy doing this and I don't know. It's like, it's part of like a whole belief I have about manifesting and just, just staying positive and, and grateful and um, in a can do kind of like mindset instead of a negative mindset. So I think that helps me a lot with when I do face certain challenges, being able to turn those challenges into positives or being able to turn a no into a yes and finding a way. So I think that's all a part of like a positivity that I infuse into my job and my team and um, my experience with the director and producer and production designer. All right, what's the one thing you wanna see on every set? I would say, a nice first AD. Yeah, I, I work with a great one and she's not a yeller. Uh, yeah. She does this beautiful thing sometimes where she actually gets quieter when people get kind of agitated and she'll slow things down and be very clear about what she says and is very not authoritative but just very direct and mature about how she handles it and i think that's a beautiful way of doing it because a lot of people get amped in the situation amped and angry and impatient and you know you try to have control of the of the whole outside world you know when you're on a stage you have control but when you're outside in the world like you know we're at a small airport we're just shooting the Zack snyder thing like last week at a small airport or two weeks ago and uh you know, every little plane, like I don't have control of people just, Hey, we're going flying today. And they walk in, they get in their plane and they turn it on. Like the tower doesn't know that they're going to be getting in their plane and starting up till they get in and they're like, okay, tower, we're getting ready to take, you know? So yeah. it's it, there. You need some patience. And the AD was looking at me and so she was a woman as well. She's awesome. But at one point it was frustrating. It's like, well, we are shooting in, air, in an airport. So, you know, that kind of noise comes with the territory, but uh, you know, we did our best to control it and it ended up being okay. But uh, an AD for me is very important. Like the way they handle things and the way they handle pressure and pressure with the director and managing that. All right, now what's the first thing you would eliminate from a set if you could? Anyone who is a blamer, you know, instead of a problem solver, when people just want to find who did this deal? 
who said that, you know, like who's, you know, like, and let's say if it's a line producer or an AD or whatever, like, it's like, let, who can I blame for this falling apart right now? And I would, I would want to get rid of anybody like that. But it's the antithesis of what you said of, of having your positive can do attitude. Yeah. Because you, you're a problem solver all the time. You're, you find places and then you make them work. They don't come working. People who blame, and I always, there are these people in every business, I think people can relate to this regardless of what business they're in, is a lot of times they usually have a little bit of elevated status, is they come in and they don't want to take any of the blame, so they yeah. just start doling it out and say, well, who picked this, or who did that, or it's not yeah. my fault, who, who, who's irresponsible, blah, 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 and whatever it is, that's just a negativity, and it doesn't help us collaborate, and it doesn't help us fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It's and even if it's just, you know, it could be something as small as you know, I. It just I don't like when people just have problems or just complain or you know sometimes, you know, hair and makeup departments can sometimes be a, a kind of precious in that way and you know be frustrated about little things and it's like and I'm sort of like, do you realize all of the stuff that's going on for me right now and you know you're mad because you don't have hardwood floors in your wardrobe tent and it's not as easy to roll your racks. Like, you know, so it's sometimes it's things like that that can be, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's see if we can find a solution. Let's get some mud mats or let's, you know, like I want to, I'm, I want to solve problems. Like I'm, I'm genetically, you know, as a Libra, as a, maybe as a woman, as a, just the person who I have grown up and turned out to be, I am, a pleaser. I am a problem solver. I want to help people. And so that's why I do, I'm good at this job because I'm not just sort of like, uh, F off and, you yeah. know, figure it out. Like I do want to solve a problem. And, but I, I definitely lose my patience when it comes with attitude, because I think I'm sure you've, you've encountered this there. And, and at, when you were cast, I'm sure you didn't encounter it nearly as much as the rest of the crew get, encounters it amongst each other, but there are people who can have a real attitude, like, don't you know who I am? Or I work on, you know, with this director all the time, just do it. Like, you know, some people sometimes have a real like attitude and I- It's entitlement. I think entitlement. And that's for me. I, that's my word is- Yes. The beauty for me is I started in this business as an actor, as a child, and mm -hmm. I got to watch how people behaved. And I was always so close to the crew but I've worked in every single department with the exception of hair and makeup and wardrobe, which I would have butchered both. Um, but I, you know, I've lugged, you know, Saco cable up, you know, miles of hillside because base camp was at the bottom and we were shooting on a little platform at the top. And I've, you know, been a prop guy and done set design and done production design and worked as a producer and been an assistant director. And I've done some camera work and, what I find is there's a group of people who feel entitled or like to give you the name drop. I yeah. work with so-and-so or I don't have to follow that rule because I know so-and-so or I always, or I'll always be here. Yeah. And the truth is what a detrimental thing. Yeah. We're all here trying to make art and I'm like you, I'm a Libra and I, you know, I want to keep everything balanced. I feel like you and I would work great on a set together because I'd be the director who's like, here's what I really want to do. Here's what I think I might want to do. Talk to me about location and how we can make this work and let's let's get together and figure it out. And then for me, when the truth is none of your plans 
are going to go a hundred percent the way everything was designed because life gets in the way. Yeah. And if you come with that mentality of understanding that we're going to have to have some flexibility, there's going to be some things. What are the things we absolutely have to have? Yeah. And then how do we, how do we get what we want out of the hiccups or the roadblocks or the momentary setbacks? And, you know, I also wish sometimes for me, from a location standpoint is, you know, it's so funny. People always want to use their name or their star power to assert some kind of control or to get attention. Mm. But the famous actor never walks over to the person who is fanning over them, who owns the building and says, Hey, thank you very much for letting me use your building today. Because sometimes that would go such a long way towards that person, not giving you a nightmare of a time is if the person who quote unquote has the name would just turn to the person and say, Hey, it's really important to me. Do you think I could use that second story window that is empty? Because they're less likely to yell at that person no and complain because they're in awe sometimes. And I'm always like, I like use it for kindness. Don't use it for animosity or ego. Yeah. Like make it easier for the production. I agree. It's, it's, you know, there have been actors I've worked with over the years who, um, you know, who come outside and, and I'll, you know, I'll say, you know, there are people outside, can you come and say hi? And sometimes I'll start with the publicist to ask them, or sometimes there's cast that are just like, you know, already pretty, you know, chummy with the crew or friendly and approachable. And I love that because, you know, you have fans out there and it's like, it's just nice to be able to give back. And sometimes it's like, you know, we're closing down this street, they can't pass through or, you know, we're filming at a school or whatever it may be, you know, it's just, I just think it's nice when they give back. Now, guess what? I'm not that, I don't live that experience of, you know, having people hounding me all the time for autographs and photographs. And so I understand sometimes just, you know, I've been certain actors who just absolutely will not sign an autograph or come and see people or whatever. And it's, you know, it's not for me to judge because I don't know what their life experience. I don't know how, what it's like to be that person. So I try to stay, um, it's probably one of my Libra qualities. I try to be understanding of what the other side feels, balance. And it's so, instead of projecting, you know, my thoughts and feelings on that situation, I just, okay, you know, um, I'll be respectful of that and, and just not ask. And then, and, but um, it is always nice when you have, like we were shooting in this house in, uh, for Little Fockers and, you know, Dustin Hoffman was super friendly with the homeowners and, you know, took photos with them and, but he did that. And, and it, I always really appreciate it because it's like, you know, that's a story they're going to tell for the rest of their lives. You know, she has that photo up on her mantle, you know, it's like those things really matter to people. And so it's nice when, when cast can give back that way, but yeah, the entitlement thing, you know, cause Ultimately, you're a person, I'm a part, we're just all like people out there. And um, I think that's kind of a big part of what, you know, I think feels like a movement in Hollywood um, to, it's kind of outing those people who are, you know, bad behaviors and bad actor people who are just, who do this job with intimidation and anger and bullying and um there's just there's just not a place for it like we're all going towards the same goal which is make a great movie make a great tv show make a great commercial that's kind of part of what started this is i look at everybody as having a talent i hate i hate the term talent when they talk about actors or performers because 
I feel like everybody there has a talent. And I am uniquely aware because of my background. You know, if I show up on set and I'm an actor and you didn't find me a location and the sound department didn't show up today and the camera's not here, then I'm a person who doesn't have anywhere to go that no one can hear and no one can see. You know, and, and I basically, if you know, if I don't have a lighting department, I'm standing in the dark talking to myself that no one can hear. And at that point, we're not making any art and it yeah. doesn't matter it's ridiculous because it won't matter how talented anybody is. Yeah. Everybody's role is so important in making production happen. And it's time that we start being honest about the way that we collaborate together. You know, going back to something we said at the beginning of this is having categories that acknowledge all of these different skills that make production possible really acknowledging the people who put everything together, that's how a project gets made. And that's what's impacting people at home and audiences. That's what makes it an authentic experience. Yeah. If, I, if I walk in and I'm doing a period piece and there's a bunch of electric lights plugged in and you, know, you look around and it doesn't look anything like what it's supposed to, it yeah. doesn't work. If I'm in a jungle, but you can see cables running and lights from the side, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Or if the sun's over here and we're doing a big sunset scene and I'm lit from the wrong side or I have a shadow in a place you can't see my face, like these are distinct choices and yeah. they take a skill set and they take everybody's collaboration of taking their skill and then finding a way to bring your art together. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. Most people when after they see a movie, let's say in a movie theater or even on their television, the end of the movie, they get up and they walk out of the theater as the credits are rolling. And, you know, and some people like, let's say there's something enticing at the end where like there's like something happening on the side, you know, as the credits are scrolling. A lot of people don't sit and see like how many hundreds, thousands of names are have worked on a movie. It's so many people. It just really, nobody knows the effort that starts from beginning to end. And you know, my job ends the last day of filming or like a week after. So I'm still like wrapping things up or a couple weeks after, but you know, then there's the whole post-production section and visual effects and colorizing and, you know, sound editing and scoring. And, you know, it's just, and there's people just really, you know, you see all those names at the end of the film. Well, it's like, that's what it takes to make one of these things. And it's, you know, I feel pretty patient. You know, there's that thing that kind of happens when you work here and maybe people get more critical of movies. I always just try to also stay in this place of, it is not easy to make a good movie. You know, you have to have a real vision and you have to assemble the right team at the right place and the right time. It's just like, so when there is a good film, you know, that makes me forget even that there are locations or forget there's background walking around. I fall into the story and just the, the artistry of it. Then talk about a success, like how exciting is that? So, and those are usually the movies that are nominated at the end of the year, right? Because it's like, I always think it's, it's pretty astounding when a film can, can do that and pull me out of it. And so that I'm all you know, but it's like, it's funny. He's like, I don't know how you felt about 1917. Like I was wowed by that film, but I was also powerfully, powerfully aware constantly through the whole film. How are they doing this? Where's the camera? Where's the cut? Where's the, 
you know. As me, I was like, I got to watch behind the scenes. I got to yeah. look at the cuts, look at the moves, yeah. look at the camera move, look at yeah. location, look at how they piece them together. It's interesting because most people, they just know like what they see on like, let's say entertainment tonight and that kind of small behind the scenes thing. They don't, they don't realize not even remotely like how many people are working on something and for how long. All right. What's the dream job? What would be a dream project other than Bond? I got that part. Coen Brothers. Okay. Anything Coen Brothers. I'm a huge, I'm a super fan. They're my, on my bucket list of directors to work with. And I think that, you know, they, you know, a house is not just going to be a house or, a, you know, everything is shot so artfully. Everything is just has such unique character, the way they see the world. And I think that that would be a really fun, they'd be fun directors to scout for. It would be such an honor to, to if I ever get an opportunity to work for them, so. All right, Leanne. All right. How do you want the people who worked with you to remember you? I would just say that, you know, that was fun to work with and that I, and that I did a good job, you know, like I, I think probably the ultimate compliment is to keep getting asked back. The phone keeps ringing. So that's, that's kind of the ultimate compliment for me, you know, that people want me to continue to be on their projects, you know? So, and I guess I, it was I expand and meet more people, you know, just continuing to, to be that person who they want to be on their team. So that's probably, um, and as I guess, remember, like, if let's say, you know, when I'm 100 and I die or 50 and I die, who the frick knows when you're going to die. But I guess just that um, I did what I loved. And, you know, that was a book I got when I graduated in high school, do what you love and the money will follow. And I would say that's, uh, that's my motto in life. And that's, you know, I'm doing it. All right. That leads me to my last question is what is the legacy that you want your loved ones to take from your life? I would say, I just actually just accidentally answered that question. I would say, um, you know, that I followed my dreams. How about that? I didn't, I didn't just go down a path that was handed to me or um, a path that was expected of me, that I sort of forged my own way in life and forged my own path and the path that felt right, feels right to me. I, should, I guess I shouldn't say, shouldn't be speaking in the past tense, in present tense, present tense. continuing to, you know, be on my own path, you know, what feels good to me. So I think that, uh, that, that is my legacy, and that's what I talk to my nieces and nephews about, you know, just follow your heart and follow your dreams, and, and you know, that will lead to happiness. Because for me, it's kind of all comes back down to, you know, like when I flip a coin or I wish on a star or blow like an eyelash off my finger, you know, what is that wish for me? And my wish is just like happiness, like deep happiness that, you know, comes from within, you know, and I think part of that happiness comes from for me at least, comes from um, following my path and, and, you know, following my gut and my path and going, you know, going the direction that's right for me. So that's kind of, yeah. Pretty amazing. Uh, from what you've told me, from the young woman who dreamed of being a photographer and traveling, to seeing the world, to interest in being an ambassador, and somehow you manifested a job where you do all of those and more. 
and it's never a boring day and it's never a hundred percent the same and it's always a new adventure. Uh, and thank you. Thank you for coming on Fish's Call Sheet and sharing it with everybody. Thank you for being willing to dive into your career and, and share the behind the scenes of what it takes to scout a location and be a location manager. Yeah, well, thank you for shining a light on the various uh, roles on a film. Because I think, again, you're like you're saying, it is a team. It is a giant, giant, giant team of people. And, you know, to get from a concept pen on paper, a script, an idea to, you know, sitting and eating popcorn and watching something. And it's, it is, it, it's like pushing a building. It's like moving a mountain. It's, it is really quite complicated and difficult. And the fact that anybody ever even tries to do it is amazing to me. And the fact that they get done and when they get done well, it's just magic. So it's, I love that you're shining a light on all the, the little facets of, and, and the team that makes a movie. So it's cool. Thank you for doing that. My pleasure. I think we all have to kind of will these things into existence. So when you will them in and you get all of the right talent to come together to make something special, yeah. it's there's a combination of synchronicity and timing that yeah. um, can only be manifested through sheer willpower and desire and, and some love. Yeah, yeah. Love. Yeah, I agree. So thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. And uh, good luck with your show. Love it. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Fish's Call Sheet. I uh, hope you're enjoying this podcast. We have a lot of other episodes where we cover a lot of different categories in our entertainment industry, but I'm so happy to celebrate all the people who make production possible. If you'd like more, or if you'd like to see some of the video with some of the visuals, you can always check us out at any of our social medias at Fish's Call Sheet, or check us out on YouTube, 